0: Welcome to the Lightly Salted Podcast. These are the readings and sermons of St. John's Lutheran Church of Park Rapids, Minnesota. They are offered so that the Word of God would shape and strengthen you to be what He calls you to be, salt and light. You can find us at stjohnspr.org. Now, on to the Word. Our Old Testament reading is from the prophet Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, part of the suffering servant prophecy, including the fact that the suffering servant will also inherit the land and divide the spoils with many. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle reading is recorded for us in the first letter to Peter, the second chapter. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered... This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How did we get to this point? Where Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, should be crucified as a criminal among criminals. When Holy Week started, people were lauding the praise of the Son of David. But within a matter of days, a different, very chilling cry arose from a different crowd. Crucify him! Crucify him! And Jesus will not be saved from this sentence of death. Pilate recognizes the innocence of Jesus, but he gives the crowd a choice regarding which of these two men should be released. Jesus. Barabbas. Barabbas, a man with a criminal record, a robber, insurrectionist, most likely a murderer. But the crowd chooses the life of Barabbas over Jesus. Simon Cyrene would help carry the cross for Jesus, even as a great multitude of people and of women would lament as Jesus is taken away. But they will not be able to spare Jesus from crucifixion. There is, of course, even talk about whether Jesus can save himself while he's on the cross. Of course, it was mockery. Nobody was really expecting to see some grand miracle. The leaders of the people said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers at the foot of the cross said, If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. And even the criminals on either side of him, the scripture says clearly derided him in the same way. The crucifixion was carried through, and Jesus was not saved from the sentence of death. But then, neither would anyone else in that whole scene escape the ultimate fate of death. And that includes us, who through the Word of God look upon the body of Jesus on the cross. We too will die. We were already reminded of this as we began this journey at the beginning of Lent to Good Friday here. As we received the ash cross and we heard the word of God, remember, dust you are, and to dust you will return. There is no one who gets out of life alive. Not even Jesus. But the fact that Jesus gives himself over to death is also in itself the seed of the good news of God's amazing grace. Last Sunday we heard Jesus himself prophesy about his death. It's only when the seed falls into the earth and dies that it springs forth with a wonderful harvest of wheat. And to our surprise, it's one of the criminals who is hanging near Jesus who brings us this great story of amazing grace. The criminal who stands in the place of each and every one of us as we come with empty hands and no prospects of being able to save ourselves from death. But it doesn't seem like he would be able to want be the one to do this. After all, the scripture is clear. Both criminals reviled Jesus even while they were hanging on the cross. But something must have happened. Something changed. Something brought one criminal from being a mocker to a believer even then. We're not told clearly what it was, but I'm certain that it had to do with how Jesus faced his mockery, his pain, and his death. He was different. Jesus, he didn't curse the soldiers who had nailed him to the cross. Jesus didn't damn to hell those oh so pious Pharisees and scribes. Jesus didn't call down fire and brimstone on the taunting crowds. Instead of cursing them, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive them! They're executing us! Forgive them? Those words are powerful. Powerful enough to make a person question everything. So as these three hours... Whereon? And as the other crucified criminal again derides Jesus, saying, "Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. This thief must speak. Do you not fear God? We need to pause on that much of his question. This inquiry is not directed at Jesus, but at the criminal who mocked him. The words of the second thief take us back to the first commandment. You are to have no other gods. And as the catechism simply explains this commandment, we are to fear, love, and trust God above all things. There it is in those few words. We are to fear God. Indeed, If we could keep this commandment perfectly, then we would have no need for the other nine. But therein lies the rub. We don't keep this first commandment. In fact, we tend far too easily to totally forget it. We tend to cling to so many other gods. We especially love to take the good gifts that God does give into our lives and make them into little idols from which we are expecting all good things to come. It is so easy to do with money, with wealth, with the accumulation of our stuff. But we can make idols out of our health, We can make it out of our reputation, out of our security. We can make idols out of our happiness, out of our home. We can make our spouse an idol, our family an idol. We can make even life itself an idol. All of these gifts that come only from the one who is the giver of all good gifts. It's so much easier to fear, love, and trust these things that we can see that we can touch, that we can admire, that we can experience. And yet not a one of those gifts can save us from death. Not a one of those things can spare us from losing them all when we take our final breath. Isn't that what happens? Everything that we might cling to, Everything that we might trust is stripped away in death. And perhaps that's why, deep down, we fear death most of all. Because it takes all of our false gods away. But there's more from this thief's opening inquiry that we need to hear. Do you not fear God, since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? Again, this criminal is addressing his compatriot in crime. You and I, he says, we are under the same condemnation, the sentence of condemnation that indeed has been handed down by the authorities as a consequence, as a punishment for crimes committed against the state. And we have indeed been condemned justly. For we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. This thief knows when he's been caught red-handed. And in these last hours of his life, he is willing to be honest. Are we so willing? You know, it's easy for us to want justice for a whole variety of things. And indeed, justice ought to be the primary concern of every government everywhere. But the final justice, (laughs) that's just something that we cannot ever handle. Paul spoke of it so simply in these words, the wages of sin is death. These six words renders judgment on sinners for the wrongs that they have done. And the judgment comes not only on deeds, but the Scripture is clear. The words and the thoughts that make the deeds what they are. Condemnation is that final verdict of justice, getting what we deserve. But even as the thief drives home this condemnation with his honesty. He also points us to our hope, the man in the middle. But this man has done nothing wrong. We would be mistaken to think that the criminal simply meant that Jesus was yet another case of miscarried justice, falsely accused, and falsely condemned. But his comments bring up a good question. If Jesus is innocent then why is he crucified and dying with the likes of us Because he shares in the suffering of sinners He did so throughout his entire ministry he made their sufferings his own and so here he shares in death those with charged with condemnation to death they're just deserts Jesus, he's not saved from death because Jesus makes our death his own. He bears the curse of our crimes, he bears its punishment. And in faith, the criminal makes his last appeal to an innocent one Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He doesn't ask to be set free from death. He already trusts that death shall not be the last word for Him. When he call, What He calls for is He wants to be remembered. Only, only the living can remember. The plea is to not forget me and my sin and death. Rather, keep me as your own. Bring me into this inheritance in your kingdom. Keep me, Lord Jesus, with you and you with me. And Jesus replies, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, not just the fond longing of the human imagination, but the promised place of God's peace, His wholeness and His restoration is promised. And there will not be a delay for this grace. It's coming today. The same blessing of grace was pronounced on us in our baptism where in those waters we died with Christ and were made alive with Him. This promised blessing comes to us today, again, as we hear the promise spoken. And this promise is the one thing that not even death can take away from us. Rather, when our death comes, Jesus' promise will be fulfilled. Because Jesus remembers us with his promise amazing grace. Amen. Thanks for listening to Lightly Salted. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at stjohnspr.org or look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our thanks to Eric Medias at soundimage.org for morning dew. God's blessings.